Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. Today we've got a couple of guys who have many things in common, not least of which is that they're both producers and proprietors of recording studios, Nick Sanborn of Sylvanesso and Blake Mills. Mills has the kind of resume that might make the average person feel really lazy. Not only is he an active musician, but also a Grammy-winning producer for Alabama Shake's 2015 album Sound and Color, a collaborator to the stars, including the likes of Fiona Apple and Bob Dylan, and most recently, one of the guys in charge of the legendary Sound City studio in L.A., birthplace of everything from Neil Young's After the Gold Rush right up to Phoebe Bridger's latest album. Mill's newest musical project is a collaboration with legendary bassist Pino Palladino called Notes with Attachments. Just prior to that, it was the Pitchfork Best New Music designee Mutable Set from 2020. He's a pretty chill guy for someone with a schedule that packed, as you'll hear. Check out a bit of Vanishing Twin from that album, Mutable Set. Concealed between the flashing screens There is a beam of love supreme That's where I'll be, come shine with me That's where I'll be, come shine with me Nick Sanborn is half of Sylvan Esso, along with Amelia Meath. The duo recorded their third and latest album, The Excellent Free Love, while they were constructing a brand new studio called Betty's on their farm in North Carolina. The album came out in September of last year, which obviously meant touring was off the table, but Sanborn got plenty busy with production work, including helping to create the most recent Flock of Dimes record with recent Talkhouse guest, Jen Wozner. Since the album's release, Nick and Amelia have kept busy releasing videos, a killer remix of their song Numb, and a live album called With. And now they've rescheduled a big tour for this fall, kicking off at Bonnaroo, where they'll host the Super Jam. Check out sylvanesso.com for tour dates, and check out a little bit of Numb right here. Sanborn and Blake get right into it in this conversation, covering the intimate relationships that make for good records, the joy and trepidation about returning to public stages, and even how weird it is to do the Talk House podcast. Enjoy. How you doing, man? Pretty good. I'm keeping busy and trying to juggle a few things and give it my undivided attention, but I don't know what undivided attention uh, is or where that is anymore. So everything's getting divided attention. Yeah, focus has been an issue lately. Yeah. it's. I feel like the reason we got together to talk here was because uh, we wanted to talk about designing a creative space and what that looks like. And I was excited to talk to you about it because we've been working on this place here in North Carolina. And 
I know you guys have stepped into Sound City, but it really feels like since you got there, you made it your own. And I was curious how those two experiences were different. I've never had that experience of like being the resident or caretaker of a spot like that. How long have you been there? Been there about three years. So when we got in, there was really nothing. There was no console. The wiring was designed for equipment that we were not going to be using and didn't have. So when we got in, we had a little bit of infrastructure work to do before we were actually up and running as a studio. But we knew that the rooms sounded great. So there was a big part of a studio building process that was already taken care of, which is that we didn't have to tinker too much to figure out how to get a good sound and like where to set the drums up and all that. It was just more curating the gear and, and workflow and, and things of that nature. How long had the place been vacant? It hadn't been vacant. It had just actually gone from sort of proprietor to proprietor and each lease or each occupant had a different console in there. At one point there was a Helios in there. Before that, there was like an Alltech console. Briefly, I think there might've even been like a red in there, like one of the Abbey Road red consoles. It had just gone from being the church of Neve to a few other things. And ultimately I, I think it was really enlightening to hear what that drum room sounds like when it's not coupled with a Neve console so as to arrive back at the conclusion that it's a really good pairing with that type of console. It's like when you do a really good take and then you're like, oh, that was really great and really fun. Let's do another. And you just proceed to go right past the good one. And then you go, oh, yeah, let's, I think we can start listening back to what we did before. Cause these are not good. <laughs> we did everything from the ground up here. It's been way more yeah. slowly working with the room in order to find the spots and get it to sound how we want it. But I, weirdly, one of the things that when we were building the spot, I feel like I kept being more of the like gear logistics room brain. And Amelia mm -hmm. kept saying, no, like vibe has to come first. Like the energy of the thing is all that matters. We'll problem solve against that afterwards like you can solve all the sound problems later if people don't if people aren't feeling good when they're in it then like there's kind of no point which is something i really feel when i walk into sound city the minute you walk in those doors back there it just feels like this really gentle like classic creative feeling space i totally know what you're saying it's but it's not like chicken or egg they both have to be working they both have to be functioning like you can get a really good sounding recording without vibe and you can have a really vibey experience and have a quote unquote bad sounding recording. It's weird because no matter who you ask, like that thing that recording drums on an iPhone does is like always surprising and thrilling. Wow, that actually sounds good. But it doesn't hold up if you compare it to other really good, large diaphragm sounding like a great recording of, of drums. Like it, oh, sure. Yeah. You, then you hear the iPhone and you're like, okay, now I understand more what that is and what I like about it, but that it's not the same thing as hearing Jim Keltner on the Rufus Wainwright record that came out. Like it's, it's just not the, it, it's not the same thing. Keltner, I feel like you're cheating out the gate right there. Jim is the, is like the quintessential, like he'll play something on a drum and offer you textures from that sound that are not going to, they're not necessarily going to come through on a voice memo. The same way that like a voice memo is very flattering on the way that I play drums because there's not a whole <laughs> lot there to begin with. So yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there there is an appropriate vibe for an appropriate kind of 
approach and an appropriate gear setup for certain kinds of records. I get really sick of the dogma of here's what you need or here's how to do it. Because every time I've gone in to make a record, I realized that the thing that was so valuable to me on the last one is irrelevant. How do you keep that fresh there? And how do you reimagine the space and, and your setup there as you are inviting so many new people in to work? So we have two rooms here. We have this small room that I'm in that's like me and Amelia's room. So it would be pretty impenetrable to just somebody coming in and trying to work in here because I designed the patch bay the way I want to use it. And there's all this weird kind of esoteric stuff that really makes sense in our workflow, but like maybe wouldn't in somebody else's. And then the other room, we purposely made it this like tabla rasa. It's just a large room that is a great space to make a record. We go to great lengths to make sure that whatever equipment that we have maybe in here or in the garage or something that they've asked for, I already have ready to go. I kind of try to figure out what the person is trying to do and then make sure that I or the, whoever's engineering or whoever's producing can set the thing up in the way that they want out the gate. Yeah. We tried to make that place something that like you could even down to bringing in your own like laptop, you could plug it right into the whole patch bay and have it be your system out the gate. That thing you were just talking about is each record, you think you get it all figured out by the end of that record. And then you start another one and it's, oh, this has nothing to do with the thing I learned in the last one. Now, it's interesting that you say that about the approach, the two approaches with the room, like the blank slate and or having things that are relevant to that particular artist at the ready, because it's not something I've thought of so much with regard to the studio as much as I have with approaching collaborating with other people and producing to try to get a sense of whether there's a really strong or detail-oriented vision for the music and or the process of how to record the music, if the artist has that already. Because a lot of people don't. A lot of people, they want to come to the studio environment or come to the collaborative process because they're maybe stuck or they're ready to be inspired by external influences or input. Yo, totally. So whether that's a person or a room with instruments around, they're like, what is that? What does that sound like? There's kind of a playhouse sort of nature, if that's what you would call it, to Sound City, where there's just instruments at the ready to suggest maybe I belong on this record. Yeah, I feel that way about, have you ever been to the loft, Wilco's spot? No, I've never gotten a chance to go there. That place is amazing for that exact thing. It is like their vibe in there. But it's one of those things where it's like everything is set up and mic'd or plugged in at all times. Yeah. You like walk around and you see this cool like tack piano or some like optagon or some weird thing and everything is just on and ready to go it's just kind of like the flow of it feels really nice and that totally happens at sound city i feel like just walking into that live room there's some things that i'm like oh this is cool what's happening here it's great that you get that impression because i i often i feel like other people's studios are that and i'm like i wish we just had like, a mixer and all our keyboards were plugged in all the time and, and stuff but but we had to we were just like having to sh shuffle so much equipment around between sessions it never really stays in one setup for too long for better or worse that's a good thing in a way though even in here it's just because i'm too add for anything but i feel like i'm always tinkering with the setup in some way or like taking something out to replace it with something else i am so envious of people who just have the like ultra quick workflow thing down but in the other way, I feel like it stay inspired in a different way. And I love that about it. Yeah, I don't know if I trust the ultra quick workflow thing. I'm envious <laughs> up to the setup, but like uh, a little freaked out 
by the idea of knowing the outcome of something before you get there. Do you ever hear stuff, it, that thing of hearing the result of something in your head rather than actually going through and trying it out? It really does save time because you can say, I, I think it's going to fight with this other thing that's already happening. But then at the same time, you can always be wrong about something like that. And, and so if you don't rely on those instincts or if you don't allow those instincts to edit your process a little bit, you wear yourself out trying something that you thought might not work and turns out doesn't work for the reasons you thought it wouldn't. I have another version of that problem, which is that I'll get an idea for something that I want to try. And then I start trying to produce that. And I quickly realize it's going to take me like longer than the whim, <laughs> than, than the nature of the whim of the idea. The idea is just this like passing like nimbus cloud. And now yeah. I'm like, can see that I'm on this 20 minute journey to get this thing that <laughs> I totally know that at the end of it might still suck. Like, right. Which when it's just me in here is fine. But if I'm here working with somebody, it's like a day derailer. That's been my thing lately is like, how do I avoid taking other people along for these stupid journeys I go on? This is a wild format because it's basically two people like talking about their artistic process with the assumption that other people like, is there anything nearer than like just two people being like, Oh man, my ideas and like, oh, <laughs> like it, it makes so much sense this exists because there are certain people I could totally listen to play devil's advocate with themselves all day. But do I find myself, you know, and what I do that interesting? No, like talking about self, being <laughs> self-conscious of other people's patience. Like, my God, what are we doing here, Nick? I love hearing about people's process, even if it's like deep inside baseball shit, just because one thing I think about whenever somebody comes in here, like you were talking earlier about the kind of person that shows up to make a record and knows exactly what they want. And then there's the other kind of person that shows up to a record and doesn't really know what they want and is looking to be inspired by the surroundings or the people that are there and then more mm -hmm. curate kind of the experience or like give away these powers to other people and then see mm -hmm. how they feel about it. And I feel like figuring out which kind of person or people are walking in the door is such a big part of the thing. And it always fascinates me to, to listen to people talk about how they work because every time I've gone into work with somebody, it's been a completely different thing. Like everybody yeah. I've ever worked with treats the thing that we do totally differently. It's harder for me to imagine where I fit in that process because what I know how to do is rely on my own instincts or my own reactions to something else rather than just take instruction and interpret it faithfully and execute it. I'm not as good at that, I don't think, as I am playing off the cuff. I definitely see that in your production. I feel like you have a distinct kind of reflected voice that I hear in the records that you've worked on that aren't yours. But also at the same time, what's interesting about you saying that is you've also are a great guitar player and great like session guitar player, which I presume is like a thing where you've had to take an immense amount of direction. I haven't really been on a lot of sessions where they put the chart in front of you or they play you the demo and they're like, we basically just want to cut this. I haven't been called for too many of those. I think the word got around <laughs> early on that this guy's got this 18-year-old guitar player, he's got an ego and you got to make sure you stay out of its way. I don't know what, what they were saying, but like, I wasn't on those sessions. It's not something to be incredibly proud of, but I, I'm a worthless musician in front of a score, like a chart, you reading music sure, and me stuff too. like that. 
So I, I just as soon keep myself out of those situations and know that there are plenty of other people who would crush that. Have you ever figured that out like too late? I mean, I've definitely ended up on sessions and been like daydreaming about all the people who I think would be much better suited to be there than I am. Or like just <laughs> wi wi a couple times maybe wishing I was somewhere else. But for the most part, that's the that's the best time in the whole process because the music almost never sounds as good as it does when you walk back from the tracking room and into the control room and listen back to the take when you've done something it's the best that's incredible it never sounds as good as it as it does then you can definitely have mixes that sound better it's just the joy you get and the dopamine rush that you get is never quite as potent afterwards oh absolutely that instant after capturing something is the best. It's just the best thing. Yeah. Yeah, man. Circling back to producing, is how somebody feels when they walk in the room for the first time something you think about? Yeah, but not in a way that we're trying to, you don't have a whole lot of control over that moment. Sure. A lot of it has to do with what they're bringing in, where they're coming from. There are ways of quickly figuring out whether you're on the same page or after the same kind of experience as somebody else. There have been times when people have come through those doors and for meetings and the wavelength is just not, they're not compatible. The only way that we could figure out whether we're right for working with somebody else is just by spending some time trying to understand what's important to them. And some people are really good at just offering that and then other people aren't. And you have to do a little bit of guesswork or a little bit of digging. And that just takes time. And I think it's why so many co-writing sessions or like uh, potential work together coffee hangs end up being like pseudo therapy sessions because you're just trying to get at not only why somebody would want to make a record and how you might be helpful to them, but whether you can also be alone with your own thoughts together. Like the pressure when things stall is not so great that somebody's just going to say like, this isn't working. This is supposed to be easy. And right now it's not. And I feel like therefore we're not doing something right or this is hard and it shouldn't be. It should just be fun. I want to just make a record and have fun. And you just want to go through battle with somebody and, and enjoy all the spoils of it at the other end. And, and it's worth it. As a player or producer or writer or whatever, if you don't have that feeling of comfort, I just feel like for personally, like I'm not good enough. There, there's no way that I'm going to deliver the best thing I could deliver on whatever day if I'm worried what someone's going to think mm -hmm. first and foremost. You know what I mean? Like trying to suss that weird personality dynamic out is it's so crucial. That's the other thing. It's so different for everybody. It is different for everybody. And it's a struggle sometimes to be yourself when you're so hyper aware of another personality or you're trying to learn somebody. You can find that your own personality just becomes more performative. You know that weird, that nervous social energy when you meet somebody for the first time and they are like laughing at things that aren't funny <laughs> or like you're laughing at things that aren't funny? To absolutely. I want you to know that I'm at ease. <laughs> it's I, like that totally happens when you're working with a, a new artist for the first time and you both want to be real agreeable or whatever. Another thing that comes to mind is how different it is to be working on an album with somebody than just a song. Totally. Over the course of an album, you have the benefit of getting to a certain place on the first song or second song and being like, 
yeah, we made it through that. And what we have is pretty good. And then reaching something on song three, four, or five, where you're like, oh, this came together in a natural way. And we achieved X. And you go back to the first two songs or three songs, and you hear that those are not as good as the thing you got when you were doing X. And so you go back and you bring up the rear of these things that you didn't really have any problems with before. So you're raising your own bar over the course of developing that creative relationship with that person. Most of the time, you don't really get to that part of the process over the course of one song. Totally. I noticed that since we had a home base, the sound of the record started to improve because you're, it is an aspect that you can build upon the experience of, of learning a room. You can build upon that from record to record. You have your own relationship with the space. Yeah. That's been huge here, for sure. I listened to the first couple of things we made here, and I'm like, oh, God, what were we doing? I loved that then. But like now we make stuff here, and I'm like, oh, this like, it's night and day. Like, it almost, you almost get that record song three feeling, but like just within a space over the course of multiple projects. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the opposite of what we were talking about at first, which is that every time it's new. But there are things that you do carry through each record, which are your preferences and, and instincts and your instruments and maybe that sensibility of the space and how to use it as an instrument. You're just adding to your vocabulary, like you're adding to your, your toolkit. And that's mm -hmm. the whole thing I feel like e each record, you build this world with these people. And in that world, you only use one language and a certain set of tools, which is why you convince yourself that those are the only ones you ever need. And then you get out yeah. of that and they don't make sense anymore, but you still have all those things. It's not like it just goes away. Like you still learned those things that you learned. It'll come yeah. up later. It's just not the be all end all of there's, the, there's always that dream of some like feeling like you have it in quotes figured out. Yeah. And I think that is temp so tempting and alluring that like every time I trick myself into thinking I have it, I've got it this time and then I'm always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever, do you cross out, do you work, work just in the studio or do you stuff at home too? And is there a crossing of streams there? Not right now. I have had home setups or like mobile setups and I do like the results of mixing things that were recorded in different environments, whether they're different studios or just different rooms of a house. I think that does a lot to help tracks sound better, but I'm thinking that what I might want to set up at home is more of a DI, things that, that can be plugged in DI or sure. just editing kind of space. Because during the pandemic was when I realized how many distractions there are when you're attempting to record acoustic stuff at home and you've got the neighbor's gardener or dog barking or fire truck going past. It's just, I think it'd be one thing if I was making something where all of that stuff can just be on it and I just embraced it, but not typically. And it, and it, it breaks my concentration to like be working at the thing, but then also be having to like start over because uh, somebody dropped a package off. Yeah. I, we, before we had this spot, we had this little one bedroom house in the woods that we had rented. That was just this crappy old house with like really thin walls and there was parts of that were like great like i made this record this improvised record with a friend there and we did the whole record with the windows open and it just felt like we were like outside it was this like total north carolina springtime kind of record mm. and i loved it but then we also made that last mountain man record there and while we were working on that mountain man record the city was working on the street like outside of the house so there's still 
the beeping of a backing up truck like on half the tracks on that that I couldn't get out just because we were like, the take was too good. I think most people would probably be like, that's my favorite part. Mm. Great. That's wonderful. What I feel when it's happening and I'm working is not, oh no, people are going to hate that. It's damn, my concentration was broken. Do I need to listen back to that and try to replicate what I was doing? Because it felt good. Like It's just that it's marred in some way. And then you have to make additional decisions on top of all the decisions you have to make just as a, an artist. It's just, it's too much. So I think if I go the DI route, it will naturally curate an interesting selection of things that, that I can have here. But it, you know, then again, I, I take stuff that I've worked on on my computer here at the house into the studio and I listen to it. And I'm like, seriously, like I didn't hear that. You guys do have one of the craziest listening rooms, like in the country. Yeah. It reveals a lot. And that there's things in that room that I don't hear until I take it out of there. It's just ev everywhere has, there are blind spots, certain blind spots everywhere. And that's why it, it is important to be aware of it and, and have a little time to, to take it out and listen to it in a car, or listen to it at home and just listen to it a few days later, even that perspective is is really valuable I, I feel like when we first met you didn't have the sound city spot yet is that's right i think you just had your little spot in your house right probably because i feel like i think you played us some of the early pino stuff then did you guys start that record at your house yeah that record was one of the first things i worked on when we got into sound city the work that i had actually been doing on that music was more based in the editing and overdubbing with DIs, like home studio thing that we're talking about. And that was how we were working on stuff. And then the studio situation came along and it influenced our approach to that project and, our, and that music it became much more about tracking and playing and combining things that had been recorded years earlier and in a sort of home studio fashion or demo fashion with things of a quote unquote, larger production value. And that space really did a lot to define the sound of the record, just as much as the process of exploring a new space did a lot to define the sound of that record. I love that record. But it, like on top of how great it is, it feels like it's such a like quintessential collaborative record. It was something that like grew as the record went on. Is that right? For the most part, the, all of the songs were based on like little nuggets of ideas that he had recorded sometimes multi-track and sometimes it was just like a, a two-track like a, a voice memo or an old two-track of a demo there was never like here's the body of work that i'm thinking of using for this record we were culling from all of the archives he could find and pulling ideas and being like that's a cool part let's take that and develop that into an arrangement so i guess the nature of that was how it was being built it was easy for it to have a more collaborative voice than perhaps it would have if it were something where that there was a version of this album that that was strictly just Pino recording and performing his his music. I feel like that goes back to that earlier thing we were talking about finding the people to collaborate with that you don't have to be in your own head with. Like that, I, I was only there for like one day of you guys working together, but I think the thing I was struck most by was how how patient you both were 
with the music. It was super inspiring. I think about that moment a lot because something I'm trying to get out of is this uh, feeling of finding something that's working and then accidentally getting married to it mm -hmm. rather than always being open to the possibility of it changing for the better and like letting that river go where it's going to go. That feels, at least on that, listening to that record and hearing it at a couple different points, I think that's like one of your superpowers. And it seems like it might also be one of his superpowers. Does that ring true? I think so. I think Pino's had more experience working on tape than I have. I've had some, but he's had more experience with that thing of if you want to do another take, you need to decide if you're getting rid of the last one or the last one's good and you just want to keep mining for other ideas and that it's going to cost you another track of a limited track count. Interesting. So I, I think that has something to do with the approach that you're talking about, which to me is one of the things I really like about having grown up working on a digital workspace because it's non-destructive to keep going, theoretically. I think being able to go a little past it and then go back and review is wonderful. It's not as sexy as like this idea of bravely saying we're going to commit and it's going to be live to tape and it's going to have that sound and that energy. I understand the allure and the, the mysterious quality that is referring to with music and with recording music. And I'm game, but in the experiences that I've had working on those records and in those methods, it's not, it never really sounds like that. It's almost like the tape thing, it, it forces you to move on, which I think for some yeah. personality types can be great. As a really tangential ADD kind of person, I'm drawn to digital stuff because I always want to be trying something different and doing whatever. And every time I've had to work on a tape record, there's something freeing about, well, I did it and it's done. And now that's that or it's not. <laughs> but I think that the you and Pino record kind of is the ultimate proof of vibe isn't something that comes from that specific limitation. Like being forced to commit is not the same thing as knowing when to commit. And and that, I feel like that record is all just, from the outside perspective, it feels like you guys like allowing yourselves to explore over like a number of years and at each point knowing when to commit, like knowing when to capture the right vibe when you see it and build on it. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I do really trust Pino's instincts and his ears intuition and there were many times where there was something that i thought was done and he said uh, you know what i've been hearing this thing on this for a couple of days and i'm like normally my heart would like start pounding and being like uh oh here we go but with him it was just like right up to the end like through mastering it was just like hey should we see if we can get like so and so to play on this thing and like part of me is like yes absolutely that sounds incredible and the other part of me is like that time has come and gone, my friend. Call them for the next record. Like it's just, this is great, and it doesn't need anything else. And but yeah, it was just like it was a blast. It's there's so much you don't have to figure out if you're just working with people whose instincts you believe in and you trust and you know that they do something that you don't do that you can't do or wouldn't do. And like when you see the value in that or how it fits into your art or your thing that you can help create i should say like I, it's so wonderful that we work in this highly collaborative platform i don't know if it happens as much with painting or with literature or movie making i guess it happens with comedy. tv shows like yeah comedy it's just like yeah. we get to work with this thing that 
can be passed around so many times and still have the potential to get better and better and not necessarily become more diluted. So why wouldn't we? Yeah, it, it's the best. It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> and that is a hard thing to remember because you also have this instinct to like do it all yourself. We all do. We have this instinct to create the monologue because I think the main reason most of us get into some creative endeavor is to try to better articulate something about ourselves than we could by just expressing it. Or at least there's an opportunity to cover that area that doesn't feel totally inappropriate like it would if you were to just go up to somebody and be like, hey, can I tell you my deepest, darkest secret? It's like slightly more socially acceptable to write a song about it. We probably all have periods in our life where it feels like what we want to do is just hunker down and like execute this thing and see it through. And that's healthy. But every time I've gone through a phase like that, I come out of it remembering why it's so important to remember that there are other people who are vital to us finding our own creative voices and personalities. Oh, totally. And making art that's big, bigger than our, our own personalities. Yeah, I worked on that Jen Wozner's record that just came out. And that was something that made me think a lot about the way I work with Amelia and other people was just like, one thing I love about working with Amelia is that she really knows me and knows like what I do in my like musical voice. And because of that can tell me when to stop or I can hear her when she's like, that's it. Just stick like mm -hmm. you just did it. There you go. Like mm -hmm. you can be done. Like the reflection, even on a solo record, having collaborators, I think allows you this window into see the way these other people see you and hear you that I, I feel like makes the record more a solo record. It's more about the person. Like this record, this Flock of Times Jen's record we just worked on, there was a ton of collaborators on that. And when I listen to that now, like all of her other stuff she had made just by herself. And when I listen to this record now, it's like the most Jen record, like so intensely her. And I want to feel like that came out of her hearing how the way other people heard her. Totally. Oh yeah. And in the same way that you can be more yourself with certain people around like you can laugh and let yourself go it's the exact same thing it's people coming in and supporting the things in her that make her unique yeah yeah that's the best god those people are really special well that is the best thing about i think being alive not to get like too heady or throw the big brush strokes on but it gets really confusing and really hard and you can struggle when you're like taking yourself too seriously having those people in your life and having them around is so precious. It's so precious. And this pandemic has put a perspective on that for me, the lockdown aspect of it and the isolation from those experiences has given me a perspective that's less jaded on things like playing shows or like getting together for the sake of getting together to play and not even to document something. I used to do that a lot and not think about how how precious that that time is and unique. Oh man, yeah, couldn't agree more. There's been a handful of hangs out here where it's just been friends jamming together. And each time it's like everybody's looking around the room like we can't believe we get to do this. I feel so much more grateful for it now, I think, than I would have had none of this happened. Yeah, totally. You guys are going out in the fall to do shows, right? 
Can you imagine yeah, maybe? what yeah. that experience is going to be like for, yeah. I mean, the people in the audiences at those shows, if, if they can happen, how transcendent it will be to hear music at that volume and with that sort of communal sense. It was something that like, to me before, I associated performing live in public with the sound of music coming through a floor wedge and like the uncomfortableness of not being able to look up for an hour and a half and just have to play shows and not make eye contact with anybody that wasn't on in the band. I underestimated how unique that experience is for people who are going to that environment, that music and, and that whole situation, like how unusual it is for somebody who's, whose work day or work week or whatever is a completely different routine than my own, how important that could be. It's the whole thing of a concert to me at this point. I think records are an inherently private thing. Like you have your extremely intimate relationship with whatever record it is that just exists between your headphones and your ears. It's this minuscule distance. It's just you in your head with this piece of music, having an emotional connection to this thing with these people that usually you don't even know that you're inventing. And then you get to go to this, into this big room and you realize that there's all these other people who've had this thing that you thought was just you, like maybe just subconsciously even. And you get the, the, the catharsis of that shared, like emotional experience. I just, I don't think there's anything that like comes close even. So in one way, I'm really excited to have that again. But I think there's also a part of it that's like, I don't know how I'm going to feel in a room full of 3,000 or 5,000 or whatever people. Like, I have no idea what that's going to feel like anymore. I just don't know. I'm really excited to get back to it because I'm excited about the potential of that thing we're talking about happening, that, that shared connection. And also I'm weirdly hesitant about it because the whole thing sounds so crazy to me at this point. <laughs> yeah. It would be crazier to me with my former perspective on shows and their, their level of importance as it was like, it would be crazier to me to like, have that be uh, worth the risk of putting everybody back together. Completely agree. Now I realize that we don't get to decide how important what we do is to other people. So man, isn't that the truth? They don't know what it's going to be either. They have an idea, they have dreams and hopes of what that experience would feel like, but they don't know either. Everybody's walking into something from square one again. Yeah. They'll probably end up creating something because of that. Absolutely. Something that's different from what shows were in the past. I think that difference though, is going to get really pronounced. Like the feeling of it's, the whatever number of us in a room making this thing together. I think yeah. that thing is going to get really pronounced. You're saying in the situation where a show has more repetition from night to night, you think there'll be a feeling of more variety? Oh, yeah. They already all feel different to me, but I think that cities are going to feel different. I think nights are going to yeah. feel very different. I think yeah. we're all going to be really feeling each other out in a different way, in a good way. I think they're... There is maybe something that you guys as a pop band have to consider if you are going to deviate from just basically performing a, a version of the records of the record version live. Is that disappointing to people? Is it exciting for people? Is it both? 
like at your shows, I feel like if I went to see you on this last record, I would almost be expecting everything to feel wildly different. There's, I think there's a freedom in that. I try to think about like, all right, when I've seen pop shows, what are the things that make me excited? I feel like I have a lot of leeway in revealing what song we're about to play. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? When I'm at a show, I love the moment of, oh, it's this jam. Like whatever kind of music it is, even seeing a jazz show, it's like the minute I figure out what song they're playing, like there's a euphoria in that. And I think for us, we really work the the transitions and like having that really be improvisational and teasing little bits in and like having these long-winded things where nobody's quite sure what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden mm -hmm. the the sound from one song comes in and everybody goes, oh my God. Like that's, I think there's a, we have a lot of freedom in that space in like the between song leading in space. Because I, I love that. I love feeling that. It's like DJing, like working the tension of a room is so fucking satisfying. You know? Like mm -hmm. it's just so, when you make everybody wait the exact, like a second longer than the right amount of time, Mm -hmm. And then everybody figures the thing out at the same moment. It's just, oh my God, it's, it's so much fun. I think we'll lean more into that on this next run. Especially just all the extra stuff we're bringing. It's, I think it's going to feel a little more exploratory night tonight, which I'm kind of excited about. I don't know about you. I feel like if I'm having fun, everyone's probably having fun. Thanks for listening to the TalkHouse podcast, and thanks to Blake Mills and Nick Sanborn for spending some time with us. If you liked what you heard, follow TalkHouse on your favorite podcasting platform, as well as any and all social media. Today's episode was produced by Melissa Kaplan, and the TalkHouse theme was composed and performed by The Range. See you next time.